0: Father, I just, uh, I'm, I'm talking to just lots of men right now since this last talk. And it, it reminds me of how if we'll just be sensitive to your hand moving, there are miracles that you do. And I pray for these men who have come in here as kind of their last hope. I thought about it the other day when we were talking about a right beginning. And Father, help these men get their arms around the fact that a right beginning starts new every morning. Help them understand the truth that yesterday ended last night at midnight. That Paul taught us a truth. Forgetting the things that are behind and pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And yet, Lord, I hate the night's. Because it seems like, Father, that it is in the nights that Satan works. And so in the blood of Jesus Christ, I pray for release for some of these men. I pray that you would drive his demons away. That you would let the the bondage and the chains of darkness be broken. So that, Father, some men could walk in the truth and know that the truth truly sets us free. Now I pray, Father, that in this last talk you might help me communicate that to risk our lives it takes courage. So I pray that in these simple thoughts and one story we might remember the life of one dear man that I got to know who changed my life forever. Thank you, Lord, for Being allowed to be asked to speak all these times, to take my gifts, Father, help me to never take them for granted and never accept uh, thanks for them, for they are the gifts that you've given me. And I now say, praise the Lord. Lord. I ask it in Jesus' Jesus' name, amen. It is very difficult for me, guys, when I get done talking, to know what to say to you. Uh, over my years of communicating, you try to express to somebody like, to, like me if, if we've done well or not done well. You know, you're kind of... My mother's a Southerner. She said, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything. <laughs> Believe me, there have been many talks that nobody said anything at all. But you know, when you follow the, the leading of the Spirit of God... You're wanting to express something in a way you help guys like me. That's why I just kind of like to slip out and go hide. It's like, okay, Lord, say what you have to say, but it's a terribly awkward spot when God speaks to your heart and you try to express it to the communicator of what to say. And so I want to thank you. You have encouraged me. Your pastor prayed for me on the first day. He said, how are you? I said, I'm worn out. I've stayed worn out. I can't tell you that I am not worn out. But I want you to know that just in the last few moments, the stories, the the words that I've heard from some men, I just sensed in my spirit, in in a terrible way today, that there were some real challenges in some of you men. And I want you to look up here at me and know that I have come from that dark place. And I'm here to tell you life is good and it is worth the adventure if you'll just be willing to risk a comeback. And so let us, uh, in this last talk that we have together, and then allow me to, to slip away from you, but to leave you with the presence of the Lord. Courage. I read something the other day that says this, Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the earthly cost because God promises to help you and save you on the account of Christ. Now, Now, this is a deep truth. Let me say it to you again. Listen to it. Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the earthly cost Because God promises to help you and save you on the account of Christ. An act takes courage, if it will likely be painful. The pain may be physical, as in war or rescue operations, or the pain may be mental, as in confrontation and controversy. Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing, regardless of the earthly cost. I want you to open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 24. This is another one of those headquarters passages. You ought to try and hold on to your Bibles the best you can. Because when you mark them, there are times a Bible to me is like an old comfortable chair that I have in my office. It's it's like the thought someone asked me if I was going home tonight I said, I won't have a home until my wife comes back from Sudan. It's a safe, comfortable place wherever she is at with me. She doesn't ride motorcycles. She dated a boy right before me that got off his bike after she got off and was hit and his head was run over. And and so she buys them for me, but uh, she won't ride them. Some guys would say, it's a miracle. Some of you'll get that tomorrow morning. <laughs> but I couldn't help av- when I, I went to Jamba Juice down at Santa Cruz and Pete's. I made the wrong turn coming back here and ended up at a uh, Scout something town. Scott Scott Scout Valley? Scott's, Valley, Scotts Valley. That's it. And found a Pete's. And every time I went to get on the motorcycle, I look back at that big old seat I've never ridden an ultra-classic, got that big seat with a stereo on it and everything, and I just wish he was there. Passages of Scripture like the one I'm going to read to you are those passages that when you circle them like the last one I did, there will be a day when you come back and it will be a familiar place. I date passages in the Scripture so that I remember that over a lifetime I have three or four Bibles that I've preached with over my lifetime. And they're worn and the binders are broken and, and the gold has gone off the side and, and they will almost open to these passages. I've visited them so many times. This is one of those passages when you are a Christian in a place like San Francisco or Miami. The ninth verse, the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the Scripture says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. You need to remember that passage because our world's spinning more and more in that direction. You will be persecuted. You will be hated. You will be put to death because of me. Christian courage is the willingness to say and to do the right thing, regardless of the earthly cost. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight simple truths. I'm just going to speak them. You can jot them down, but when it comes to a time when you say it's just too hard, you need to remember this. How do you risk and stay on the side of courage? because you are being forgiven and you have been made righteous. You have been forgiven and you have been made righteous. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Proverbs 28 and verse 1. Because we are men tonight that have been forgiven and have been made righteous, our courage needs to be as bold as a lion. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. But sometimes we are not men that stand straight and tall. And I believe if we have the courage that we need to reach a 6.6 billion people earth, remember, you have been forgiven and you have been made righteous. Number two, because you are trusting God and hoping in Him. You're trusting God and hoping in Him. The scripture says, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord, Psalm 31 24. Our hope is not in the things that we hold with our hands. Our hope is not in, you know, today I received an appraisal on my house in Atlanta. I have a a price tag on it. You know, you really don't know. You just kind of give it a stab. Franklin Graham said to me the other day, he said, you need to get an appraisal. When someone looks at your house, you ought to you ought to have their uh, official appraisal that said this is what this house is worth. I didn't think of that. So I called the fella and I said, uh, call my real estate man. What do you think? He said, I think that's a great idea. So I hired the guy, 450 bucks, PayPal. When he sent it today, it popped up this morning early. I looked at it. I didn't want to open it. I was afraid of what it might say. That my house wasn't worth it. And I prayed over it. It's all I have. Open it up, and it was a praise for more than I'm asking. I thought I'd up the ante. <laughs> I want to say something to you tonight. When you look at what you face, and you pray and you hope, you're hoping in the right thing because you're trusting in God, not something else. Third, You take courage because you are being filled with the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Spirit of God. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 4.31. Listen, we live in a world today and in a generation when we need to speak the truth with boldness. Kindness. Not arrogancy. But boldness. Boldness. People are going to die and spend eternity in a place created for Satan and his angels, a place that God said burns with fire. It ought to break our hearts. We ought to stand in the way and wave our arms with our kindness and our compassion and our care. No one ought to outlove the mission district more than Cornerstone Church. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, it is the mercy of God that leads men to repentance, not the judgment of God. Number four, we need to risk courage because God promises to be with us. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, Joshua 1.9. How is it that so often I feel so alone? In a few moments, Felix is taking me to the airport. It's a good thing. You know when I get done speaking, that's when I feel the most alone, even in the midst of a crowd. Spent, alone, defeated, Foolish? You know, when Paul said it was the, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the rise and bring many to repentance, I feel foolish. But it's the Spirit of God that speaks truth. You'd be sitting out there someplace and all of a sudden I say something and someone say, you look around and say, you told on me. No, the Spirit of God wanted to say something to you. God promises to be with you. The next thought, you got to take Christian courage, knowing that the one with you is greater than the adversary. The one that is with you is greater than the adversary. Be strong and courageous, for the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh. But with us, the Lord our God is here to help us and fight our battles. 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 7. His arm is only an arm of flesh. It cannot defeat us. The one that is with us is greater than the adversary. Next, Christian courage comes from being sure that God is sovereign over the battles we face. God is sovereign over the battles that we face. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight, 2 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 12. San Francisco is not the adversary's city. It is the city of God. It's just in the wrong hands. We've got to believe that. God has never worked through a multitude. It is not all the churches that will change the city. It is always a handful. Even the two or the three. He promises to be in our midst. We've got to have courage because of prayer. The Bible says, On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Psalm 138 and verse 3. On the day I called you, you answered me. I have courage because of prayer. Listen, I miss my wife's voice. not ever been apart from her this long. When she came on Skype just, it was yesterday or day before, little tan girl, she looked like she was 17 again to me. I could only see half her face. I told Matthew, I said, move mom over, I want to see mom. She slid over and had that big voice. I want to say something to you. You can never recapture a compliment that you should have given yesterday. Never can. I want her always to, to know and hear me say, move, move over, I need to see mom. My words were, I said, you look 17 again. I saw that little smile that I saw in that girl's face. Not at the first date. You know, first dates don't count. Second dates. <laughs> <laughs> I had plenty of first dates. Didn't make it to the second date. You know, those of you, how many of you are raising girls? Let me tell you, the Nowry has the big six to make it to the second date. You want to hear what it is? And don't think it's not true. My boys are big old stud football players. I remember one night after a football game, a knock came at the door. I was getting food ready for the boys. I opened the door, and there were three cheerleaders standing out there. I said, can I help you? (laughs) And they said, Mr. Nowry, could we speak to you? I said, sure, come in. These little cute cheerleaders there from Atlanta. And they sat down. I said, What can I do for you? And uh, this little girl said, and they were very serious Mr. Nari, I know the boys will be here in just a second, but Clint and Matt tell us that to get to a second date, we've got to answer the big six. (laughs) But they won't tell us what it is. Would you tell us? I said, Here it is. You ready? Are you Christian? Do you tithe? Do you hunt, camp, and fish? And are you willing to be a missionary? <laughs> no, for some of you, that's five out of the six, but that's okay. <laughs> Christian courage lasts the example of others. And this is the one that nails me every time. You know, you go back through these and you go, I'm forgiven, I'm made righteous. Why am I not acting like it? Whatever sin I'll ever commit, I'm already forgiven. When you hear me pray, Lord, forgive my sins for there are many. It's so i have been fellowship. I want to get out of the way. I don't want them to look down at me and say, you know what? You ain't been talking to me messed up today. I heard what you said. Stay in fellowship. I'll always be in relationship. Trusting God, hoping in Him. There's nothing else to hope in. Being filled with the Spirit of God. My heavens, that's just staying in His presence saying, I need to get out of the way, Lord, show me. God's promised to be with me. I'm telling you, I'll go get in that car with Felix, and I will fight my own personal fights all the way to the airport. And when he puts me out on the side of the road, the minute I get up into San Francisco Airport, something will happen to me to tempt me and test me. It happens after every great experience like this. Every one of them. I get afraid. I need somebody to be with me. It's it's a vulnerability that, that it's beyond me. Courage, because I know that the one that is That is, in us is greater than the adversary. Courage, being sure that God is sovereign over the battles. Courage through prayer. This is the one that always nails me. Courage because I have the example of others. Most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 14. When I was a kid growing up at the church in Miami, We had a bus ministry go out and pick up kids. We must have had 50 buses that go out into the inner city and out to places where parents wouldn't bring their kids. We saw a lot of kids' lives changed forever. A lot of parents used it as kind of their opportunity to go out and have breakfast, and that was fine with us. I've got a lot of friends right now to this very day that a bus would pull up and somebody would buy a box of Krispy Kreme donuts and have some milk for some kids and and take them to Bible study and teach them the Word of God and see their lives change forever. There was a man that came to our church with the kids. He was kind of uh, something wrong with him. He had a, a nervous tick about him when he'd go to speak. He could hardly talk. His face would strain and grimace, and, and uh, his clothes were kind of disheveled. He always wore suspenders. And I can remember from the time I was a little kid, his name was Bill Hankinson. Bill would be around. When I was a kid growing up, we made fun of him. He'd get off the bus, go to the water fountain. We were always pulling tricks on him, pulling his suspenders, doing things to Bill. Bill would go from the bus to the water fountain down the long front hallway, and he'd stand at the door like he was the pastor in an old denominational church, you know, where they stand up front shaking hands. There'd stand Bill. The pastor would get done preaching. When he'd get done preaching, to come out there and shake hands with people and see everybody, all Bill wanted to do was shake hands with the pastor and make his way down the long front hallway get a drink of water back on the bus and go back to wherever he lived. He did this when I was five years old, ten years old, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. I come back home. I'm a youth pastor. Bill's still there. Water fountain, shake hands with the pastor, back to the water fountain, back to the bus. Nobody knew who Bill was. I became senior pastor of the church there that raised me, and I'll never forget God started blowing the doors off and we were in multiple services and I didn't know how to meet people, so You know, there we were in Miami. We had a great space in the back of our worship center. So we turned that into a kind of a guest reception where at least I could meet people, see who was, you know, there and what questions they were asking. We'd have Cuban pastries and Cuban coffee and, you know, all kind of stuff. And we'd average, I don't know, 150, 200 guests, you know, between the services. And I remember when we did that, old Bill Hankinson, I think he thought he hit the lottery because he changed his pattern. He'd go from the door, he would come over and want to get a Cuban pastry, and then back to the water fountain on out there to the bus. So one night I'm meeting with our elders. I said, guys, we got any new items of business, anything we want to kick around? You know, God was blessing us with funds, and we would bought 100 acres in Fort Lauderdale and opened a satellite campus, and man, I thought we were hot. I mean, I was a young pastor and had Miami by the tail, you know, and I'll never forget. This fellow said, uh, "Pastor, it's kind of a sensitive topic, but can we talk for a second about Bill?" I said, "What you want to talk about?" Well, you know, Bill's coming into that guest reception, and we've kind of got word we really didn't want to bring this up, but he scares kids, and guests don't understand who he is. Can we sign, kind of, sign somebody to him, and you know, we can bring him a pastry and everything, but it's really, it's it's not our image to have him in that reception. Now, I know you guys can't tell that I can get upset. And so I said, I'll take that under advisement. I'll get back with you. And so uh, Monday, I got up, came to work, and I said to my assistant, I said, I want you to find out everything you can about Bill Hankinson. They said, what do you mean? I said, don't worry about it. I want to know where he lives. I want to know what his history is. I want to know how long he's come in on that bus. I want to know who his parents were. I want to know if he was ever married. I want to know everything you can find out about this man. I got to staff meeting that we had at 11 o'clock on Monday mornings, and I said, Listen, guys, we're going to debrief in a minute, but the only thing that I want to do is this. Denny St. Clair, he was was one of my pastors, I said, I want you to go get Bill here in about an hour, and I want to take him to lunch. I told one of my other guys, I said, "You know that place, I buy my suits. I want you to call him and tell him I'm bringing a guy in, and we're going to get him some new clothes." So they tracked him down, found out where he was. He was at a place called Landmark Training Center. I think it was a place that just captured people that had no place else. And so Denny got over there and called me on the phone and he said, uh, "Kirk." You need to come down here. And I said, can you not do something as simple as get Bill? And he said, <laughs> he said uh, you need to come down here. So I got in the car, he told me where it was, wasn't far from the church. I pulled up in this kind of institutional place. And I went back there toward the back down this long hallway of these locked doors. And as I'm walking along, there was a nursing staff there to take care of these men and women. And uh, I walked along, and there was a nurse's station, and a lady was there. I'll never forget her. And she said, are you his pastor? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, it's about time you've come by to see him. And so I get to this door, and there was a room not as big as a closet, and then there was just a metal cot and some books and things that were there. And Bill was sitting there in his boxer shorts and his old man T-shirt, and he was, you know, nervous, and so he was doing like this, you know, and he couldn't talk, and I asked everybody to go out and I sat down next to him and I said, Bill, I've watched you since I was a little boy. Am I your pastor? His face stretched, you know, and he said, yes, sir. He was an old man my father's age, older maybe. I said, Bill, I said, I want to take you to lunch today. I want to buy you something. I need you to trust me. Would you go with me? And he looked at me and he said, in his struggling way, only with you. So I helped him get his clothes on. He put that one set of clothes, those blue suspenders. We went to Don Shula's uh, uh, cafe there in Miami Lakes by uh, the church. While we're having lunch, the guys got ready over at the, all my staff now wanted in on this deal. So they're they're all over at the men's store, you know, and and I said, Bill, come here. I said, I want to do something for you. And we walked into all these slick guys, you know, in these Italian suits we wear in Miami and uh, they would told him what the deal was, and so when we walked in, I said, Bill, you've been faithful a long time. I want to bless you. And so let's outfit you up. I want you to go up there, Bill, and pick out any suits you want. And I told the guys I want shoes, socks, spenders, ties, whatever it is, I want you to suit him up. And so I said, Bill, come up there with me, and there's that big rack of suits, and we went over to his 42 long, I'll not forget and I said, you pick out any suit here you want. And this guy that you thought was retarded and couldn't think and talk and all that stuff, he walked up there and he started touching the different suits. And wouldn't you know it, he picked out a baby blue Italian suit. <laughs> <laughs> a leftover from Miami Vice, you know. <laughs> so he picks everything up, they take him in the back, they get him all dressed up. And I'll never forget him standing on a the box, there getting him all tailored and I'll never forget that old man turning around and looking at me, looking back, looking at me, looking back. So we got done, got him in his old clothes. I told the guys I wanted this stuff ready by Sunday and uh, took him back to his place. Then he took him back and Sunday rolled around and I got up in that first service as I did in the second and third. I said, uh, it's come to my attention a week ago. One of my leaders said to me that there's a man here, Bill Hankinson, that has uh, been upsetting the guests and the kids. I said, now this is a family meeting. You're welcome to leave if you're not a family member. uh, But you may want to stay. I said, "Um, I've checked on Bill Hankinson. He's been coming to this church since 1954. The best we can tell is we've tracked back. He's never missed a Sunday unless there's been a hurricane or we didn't have business. Climbs on a bus, goes to the water fountain, comes to the door, shakes the hand with the only two senior pastors that have ever served this church, the man that led me to Christ and me. And so in the third service today, if some of you would like to stick around, I said I'm going to appoint my new personal assistant on Sundays, Mr. Bill Hankinson, and we're going to give him a gift that I think for the rest of your life you'll remember. Well, by the third service, people had gone to get something to eat, and they'd come back, and there were people hanging out of the rafters. <laughs> and I had my guys bring that baby blue suit and those wingtip shoes, all that stuff on the platform. And I called Bill Hankinson up there, and I said, Bill, you've been more faithful than any of us. We presented him that suit I made him my personal assistant. I said, when you get off that bus, you come to me, and you just stay with me. I said, when I preach, you sit there on the front row. In fact, you can be in charge of that guest reception, Bill, if you want to. He sat there, and he was nervous, and his neck stretched, and his hand went. For the next six years, got off that bus, and he came to my side. It didn't matter if I had a big meeting or I was leading somebody to Christ. There sat Bill. Never said a word. It was a Sunday morning, six years later. It was the beginning of March. I remember it like it was tonight. That Sunday morning, Bill wasn't there. After the first service, I went to Denny St. Clair. I said, you get over there and see what's happened to Bill. Toward the end of the second service, Angel DeLeon, a kid I'd led to Christ, was my singles pastor. And Denny came in and stood against the back wall, and I looked on their face, and I knew what happened. I finished the third service and they were waiting on with me waiting on me with the car. We went over to the landmark center and we walked down that hall and that same nurse was standing there this time. She was crying. And she said, I want to show you something. I walked in that room, that same metal cot and those shelves of small books. Been there since 1954. She reached over and he had a Sheet pulled up on his neck like this, sitting on his back like he'd already been made ready for a funeral. And she pulled the sheet back and there laid Bill in that baby blue suit with those suspenders and that tie that he left tied and his shoes on. And she turned and she looked at me and she said, six years ago, when you gave him that suit every Saturday night, he'd put it on. He'd lay down in that bed and he wouldn't move, looking forward to coming to church on Sunday morning. I sat down next to him and asked if I could be alone and I started going through some of the stuff that was on his shelf while he was there. We were waiting on a coroner to come. And I reached and I said, there's a picture album. When I went to pull it out, it was heavy. And when I pulled it off the shelf, I heard metal inside. And when I opened it up on the front page, here was an article about his mom and dad. They'd been dead a long time. He was the only child. I turned to the next page and it was a, article about Pearl Harbor, the USS Arizona, I turned to the next page. Mr. Bill Hankinson had been awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. Saved dozens of men from that burning ship that day. Bomb had exploded and put a fragment in his head and he had a plate. But he stood his post. his mom and dad died, nobody knew what to do with him. The government put him in the landmark training center and he stayed in that room. The only time he ever left was when that yellow church bus came by and picked him up with those kids and he'd reach up and they'd say he'd hold on to that rail, always sitting in the front seat, going to that water fountain to stand by the door to shake the pastor's hand and then later to follow me around. The example of others... Courage sometimes has to find something to hold on to. I did his funeral and no one was there. The uh, military sent folks by to shoot the guns and fold the flag, but there was nobody to hand it to. I have flags in my house today. Reminds me of Bill Hankinson. And so when I think of the things that stop men... I would simply say that as I've come to you, that you have to risk your heart, your leadership, your vision. You have to risk restoration, getting up off the ground and doing it again. And to risk a life that's worthy of following the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to risk courage. Courage is being willing to be responsible and sacrifice no matter what the earthly cost. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. As I go out of here tonight, let me remind you what I started with. I trust myself less, I trust the Lord more. I believe we ought to add value to people. The Bible says that they knew that the disciples were the disciples because of the love they had for one another and the people they served. There is only one way to reach San Francisco and Miami, that there be nothing compared to your love for one another and for people that sometimes just aren't easy to love. That's why Jesus said, you got to turn the other cheek. How many times, Lord? Seventy times seven. You will have to forgive them. Because it was in his weakness he was made strong. It was in that beating that he took our sins. And he did not mock them, he did not curse them, he did not exercise his godly omnipotence. He died the death of the cross. But three days later he rose from the dead and he said, listen fellows, why are you standing gazing up here into heaven? You go into all the world, you preach the gospel, you baptize the believers, and you teach them what I taught you. And remember, I will be with you always, even to the end of this age. Risk. You got one shot at this life. As Kenny Chesney says, you blink and it's gone. Father, thank you for allowing me to teach. Thank you for these men for this church, for their friendship to me. I pray for San Francisco tonight. I pray, Father, for the day that the Spirit of God would be released in such a way that a revival would take place and people would see a city that is godless come to know you. I pray in my simple human words that the Spirit of God would be, let it be so. I pray for Pastor Terry, Kyung, and this team, David, and others, this worship team that I see so faithfully lead us into the presence of God. I pray for all the people that these men represent the, women, the wives, and the children, and the family members. I pray, Father, for their legacies. And I pray as the psalmist says that when we take our last breath that someone will write on our gravestone I am satisfied because I have fought a good fight and I have kept the faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.